become conscious, they will never rebel, and until after they have rebelled, they cannot become conscious. The Survival Lab. The Survival Lab. I'm Sean. I'm Sarah. And this week we are talking about... Surviving the Government. So at the top of the show you heard a quote from George Orwell and the book 1984. It's an amazing book. Go read. Read it. Or, if you're not great at reading, because I'm not great at reading, I'm dyslexic, I love an audiobook and you can listen to 1984 for free on YouTube. It's an audiobook on YouTube. Top tip, Sean. So on the theme of Orwell and 1984, I think this is a really powerful quote. Now I will tell you the answer to my question. It is this. The party seeks power entirely for its own sake. We are not interested in the good of others. We are interested solely in power. Pure power. What pure power means, you will understand presently. We are different from the oligarchies of the past in that we know what we are doing. All the others, even those who resembled ourselves, were cowards and hypocrites. The German Nazis and the Russian communists came very close to us in their methods, but they never had the courage to recognise their own motives. They pretended, perhaps even believed, that they had seized power unwillingly and for a limited time, and that just around the corner there lay a paradise where human beings would be free and equal. We are not like that. We know that no one ever seizes power with the intention of relinquishing it. Power is not a means, it is an end. One does not establish a dictatorship in order to safeguard a revolution. One makes a revolution in order to establish the dictatorship. The object of persecution is persecution. The object of torture is torture. The object of power is power. Now you begin to understand me. Ooh, Do you like it? Very good. It's one of my favourite books, 1984. Oh, it's so good. It's really, really powerful. I find myself quoting it quite a bit, actually. Quite relevant to, to today, isn't mm. it? Around the world, in some places and in other places. <laughs> Scary. Um, so, today I've got a story for you. And I used History.com, Wikipedia, and the BBC World Service podcast. Which is pretty good. I've never listened to it before, but I like the BBC Wilson. Do you recommend? Yeah. I do, yeah. It's oh. got some great history stuff on it. So, let me just get comfy. Are you comfy? I'm sitting comfortably. Then we will begin. I feel like mm. I'm doing Jackie Mulry. Time for a story. There's something really comforting about that, though. Do you not think? There is. But this isn't <laughs> going to be a very comforting story. I'm really I sorry. was a little bit worried about that. <laughs> I'm going to get you all comfortable and then. I'm going to tell you some really horrible stuff. <laughs> okay, I will sit on the edge of my seat. Prepare. Yeah, I'm ready. The 50s and 60s was a period of immense social and political instability in Argentina with coup and counter coups. A coup is where the military, parliamentary or opposing government factions deposes the current government and assumes power. So, civil disobedience and violence from both the right and the left happened in Argentina. Hundreds died, hundreds more were imprisoned, and then, in 1976, another military coup seized power and set about rounding up anyone suspected of opposing the regime. Thousands of suspected left-wing sympathisers and opposition supporters were arrested, 
tortured and killed held in concentration camps and then dumped by plane in the ocean oh my god yeah mate sometimes not dead they were just flown and dumped like meat yeah they were awful um the victims became known as the disappeared and this was called argentinian's dirty war wow so I have, I don't know if you do, I have a vague recollection when I was a little girl of kind of hearing about it. I think maybe you too or Sting did some pop like song about it or publicised it. I remember watching a video and there were these ladies who were holding up pictures, black and white pictures of their children and they were crying. I remember asking my mum about it and she told me that there was a corrupt government and that they were, they'd stolen, stolen the children. But I think at the time I thought it must have been really long, a long time ago. Mm. Like it must have been ages ago because it, it, they were black and white pictures. Um, so I don't really know a lot, didn't know a lot about it. And then in 2015, I went to Argentina and I studied at a circus school called Quintren with this amazing artist called Alan. And she told me about her personal experiences and that some of her friends were orphaned because of the regime. Alan is the same age as me. Wow. Yeah. And she was kind of horrified that I knew little of this history. I bet she was. Yep. But I had not been taught in school, didn't really know about it. So she told me to go to the higher school of mechanics of the Navy. And I'm going to try and say this in Spanish. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't speak Spanish. I will not judge. Escolia Superior de Mecánica de la Amada. It sounds right. <laughs> I am quite good at Spanish, but the well, no, that's a lie. I'm not good at Spanish, but I can say in a good Spanish accent, lo siento, no hablo español, which means, I'm sorry, I don't speak Spanish. Um, so this building is commonly referred to by its acronym, which is ESMA, E-S-M-A. It was originally an educational facility for the Navy, but in the dirty war, it was used as a secret detention centre where people were held in horrendous environments, tortured and eventually killed. Uh, they were, there were flights leaving to take the bodies to be dumped in the sea, and sometimes they weren't even killed first, they were just dumped. It's horrendous, isn't it? Esma has been converted into a museum, and when I visited, um, and I went there to learn about all these thousands of people and how they were tortured and executed, mm. it was really eerie and sad and weirdly hopeful in that building okay because people were learning uh, yeah i think it's important that we learn about these atrocities in the hope that no one ever does it again we can always hopefully learn from history it doesn't seem to be the case no because when you were talking about um people being dumped in the sea or like i think about what you know all these all the people that are trying to make their way into europe to britain for a better life to escape the horrors of their own country that's all they could think about when you were saying that it's horrendous isn't it Mm. so one of the things um that happened were people were imprisoned and they might be pregnant or having babies and these babies were then taken off. Oh my god. Their identities changed and then they were then adopted by military families. Oh my god. So Esma was the largest detention 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 centre mm. of its kind. And I'm not kidding you, it is in plain sight. 
It's huge and it's, sto- it's a stone's throw away from where I was staying. It's massive, it's imposing, and people either knew just to ignore it, um, or just because if they ignored it, it saved their lives, or if they God. spoke up, they had to be prepared that they might die. Oh my God. So it was a choice people had to make. Me and my husband uh, remember leaving Esma feeling completely changed. I can only imagine. Yeah, it was a really haunting place. So, while hundreds and thousands didn't survive, I want to tell you about a movement that helped people who were grieving survive and helped them get answers and helped them get families reunited. This is a story of the mothers and the grandmothers of the disappeared, also known as the mothers and grandmothers of the Plaza de Mayo. Um, and I got this information from a wonderful podcast I told you about, History One, BBC World Service. Um, so, it tells the story of a woman who at the time of recording was 92 years old. And she shares her story and the disappearance of her daughter and her son-in-law and her grandchild and how she fought to overcome a corrupt government through protest. Marta's daughter, Anne Maria, graduated in sociology. In her spare time, she would help out in the slums, and her, her mother remembers her daughter as having a strong core values and being a keen ability to ask questions and raise concerns for social injustices. These were not safe times to have such values. One day, the military came to Marta's house. They took her daughter and her daughter's husband and all their belongings and shipped them off. Marta went to the police, to the military and to the government asking questions about where her daughter was and nobody would answer her. Anna Maria, her husband and her unborn child had become one of the many disappeared. One day in 1977, Marta was again leaving a government building having asked questions about her missing daughter when another woman approached her and said that they were going to meet on the Plaza de Mayo and they were going to protest and ask questions. And so in April of 1977, Marta and 14 other women held the first public demonstration demanding that the regime release the relatives or at least admit what actually happened to them. Oh, wow. Yeah. Badass. She is a badass. Marta remembers that she was dressed in black along with all the other women with white headscarves and they were holding black and white photos of their missing children and grandchildren along with all the other mothers of the disappeared. Marta said to one of the soldiers who was pushing her and shoving her while she was protesting, did you not think that we that they didn't have mothers? Did you think that we wouldn't come looking for them? Oh my gosh, that's so powerful. Isn't it? This little woman just against a soldier with a gun. Just saying. And just the imagery though, that they were dressed in black and white and had these black and white images. Just so powerful. Clever woman. These brave women, in such a scary time, held protests outside a government building where it was banned. The Argentinian military couldn't ignore them, and as their protests had become so powerful, they decided to attack the leaders. <gasps> in December 1977, armed men kidnapped one of the founders, Asusena de Flora, from her home. She was reportedly tortured and thrown out of the plane oh. into the sea. Fourteen other mothers of the Plaza de Mayo also disappeared. Oh my god. They are so brave. I was just thinking back to a time when um, after the Manchester Arena bombings and I was at a festival in Leeds and there was like armed police yeah. and they were being friendly and nice and talking, but, but they had scary. guns and it was scary. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, these women are amazing. So Marta was so heartbroken by what the military had done, not only to her children, but to her country, that she felt she no longer cared. 
and she went out in protest because this is all she could do. In 1983, civilian rule returned to Argentina, and it became known that thousands of prisoners held by the military had in fact been murdered. But the mothers and grandmothers of the Plaza de Mayo kept up their search, not for their sons and daughters and grandchildren, but for everybody's sons and daughters and grandchildren born in mm. captivity and adopted out to military families, um, and the hope that some of them were possibly still alive. They used DNA testing, and to this day, more than 250 grandchildren have been located and reunited with oh, birth wow. families. Wow, that's amazing. That's amazing. It's been 43 years since the atrocity. The mothers and the grandmothers of the Plaza de Mayo still meet in the park in front of the President's Palace every Thursday at 3.30pm. The thing that I found the most moving when I was mm. over there um, was that it... I think I was over there and it been like 38 years or something like that, is that it hadn't been any time. Yeah. Like, it was no time at all. But I get that. It, it's so awful that how... How do you distance yourself from that? You can't, can you? No, but we weren't taught in school, and it was happening during no, our lifetimes. I'm, I'm going to be really honest and hold my hands up. I didn't know anything about that. No. That was a revelation for me, and I'm, I'm, I guess I'm appalled that I didn't know. But if no one's teaching you, how do you? Mm, but that's awful. It's horrendous. It's so scary, and, you know, I know that they had a lot of unrest and you know during the time, but that their government, that, that coup came in... Uh, so quickly and they took power and people protest and you know people died in horrendous ways yeah and you you I don't know I don't know about you but sitting here I can't imagine that happening can you imagine us doing this podcast it being illegal and knowing that we could have the government or the military knocking on the door and dragging us away and we would never see our families again I think we'd still do it but yeah I can't imagine that like, the terror mm-hmm. I've got some um, friends of a friend, our dancers from Belarus, mm. and they were put in prison recently because they're artists. Wow. It's really scary. It really is. And I'm feeling a bit emotional even just talking about it, because <laughs> I can't imagine, because I'm thinking of you now, you know, you are a, you are an artist, um, and I can't imagine you being jailed. Well, for I think doing... anyone with, like, leftist views or a leftist job would be in serious trouble. So I um, found an article on um, the 10 most corrupt countries. Excellent. That I thought I'd share. US News, I've got this off. Well, I'm going to say, if it's US News, they're not going to say the USA is in that Ah. 10. So it's the 10 most corrupt countries ranked by perception. So countries across Latin America dominate this list. So Transparency International, the non-governmental organisation based in Germany, defines corruption as the misuse of public power for private benefit. The organisation's most recent version of its Corruption Perceptions Index also states that the failure to significantly control corruption is fueling a global crisis in democracy. Colombia is perceived to be the most corrupt country in the world. So there's also Mexico, known for its deadly drug cartels, of number two. Yeah. We do have nice avocados. I know, but... The war on drugs doesn't work, but that's a different podcast. So, okay, so I have the top ten in front of me. Okay. I'm going to take your guesses. So I've told you one and two. So number one is Colombia, number two is Mexico. Give me some more. Paraguay. No. Um, Belarus. No. 
Russia. Yeah. Number 10. All right. Yeah. Okay. The Russians are probably paid them to say that. So, in at number nine. Yeah. <laughs> that's because we've got these fancy know, microphones right, yeah. and, and I feel like I'm on number nine we have I feel like I'm on top of the pops we look like we're on top of the pops <laughs> I don't in uh, the corruption charts today we have at number nine Bolivia eight Kenya or Kenya people pronounce it differently I'm a Kenya um, number seven is Brazil six is Saudi Arabia five is Guatemala four is Myanmar Three is Ghana, and as I said, number two is Mexico, and one is Colombia. Nice. Any surprises for you? Guatemala, I'm surprised. Mm. But I guess the big military base doesn't help. Yeah. And Bolivia. I thought Bolivia was really small and friendly. Apparently not. I couldn't, I mean, I, I've not checked out my sources, I'm not going to lie. Um, Look, as long as you watch a video on YouTube about it, it's fine. You can claim it as fact. And I've watched many. So, um, on that kind of tip, I got some. I got a list together. Yeah. Um, that can help you if you have a think of what I'm saying, and then think about your government or a government that you know. It doesn't have to be your own government. Um, you can then work out whether your government is corrupt. Now, I just want to make it clear that your government doesn't have to have all of these, but a smattering. <laughs> means that they're probably a bit corrupt. A bit dodgy in the last. And you might want to have a think about what you can do about it. Because if you intercept it, early intervention is good in everything, really. Is that a top tip already, Sharon? It's a top tip. Oh, I'm letting my top tips come out. Early intervention <laughs> when dealing with governments. So, a lack of transparency in personal finances and investments of politicians and top-level administrators. Really? Okay, another top how to spot if your government's corrupt tip. <laughs> the top level administrators seem to be above the law and protected. Wow, no way. <laughs> <laughs> There's no irony in my voice at all. <laughs> A lack of transparency in the government's decisions and budget. <laughs> Um, you, the public, are paying the same or more in taxes, but the government keeps reducing services to the public. Oh no, never. I could never imagine that. Regular and ongoing employment of family members, friends or business partners. This means that your government is now only accountable to friends and family. <laughs> we don't know any government that does that. No, no, no. I'm really struggling to think. <laughs> <laughs> Um, ongoing governmental attacks against the free press and against certain portions of the populace. But the controlled me media never criticising the government. Number seven, selling public assets and nature resources to friends, relatives or companies in which the government has a vested interest. Number eight, government officials and ruling party politicians send a lot more nationalistic than patriotic. The government becomes blatant, breaking its own rules. Oh my god, no way. Can you imagine a government? Can you imagine in a globe in a global pandemic? In a global pandemic, breaking its own rules. That would never happen. I, I can't imagine it happening, Sarah. <laughs> oh my god, if we get disappeared now and freak out. Well, it's um quite timely that you say that because I'm a government spy. 
in it. <laughs> <laughs> no, I found on WikiHow how to stay off the government's grid. Amazing. So we'll be safe if we follow um, these top tips. Amazing. So number one, get off the internet completely. You're going to have to go back to the 1980s style of living. Okay. So the, the sense behind that is that the internet um, is a key way that companies gather your personal information. That's true. And um, I think, oh my God, oh well again, Big Brother is watching. Big Brother's always yeah. watching. So you need to get off social media essentially, even if you think like your accounts and stuff are private. Mm-mm-mm, I'm sorry. No. It's going to make our podcasting quite difficult. Yeah, I don't know how we're going to do it. We're not going to get it out there. It's going to be a private podcast. Do we, th- do we need to speak to the Amish? Because, like, how do they... Do they podcast? I don't think they podcast. I think they sit around and tell stories. But we could still do that. But how do we get other people to listen to our stories? Other than, like, harass well, people? Well, if you're an Amish person and you are listening, <laughs> write in and tell us. Okay, so number two, just completely take a side step from that conversation okay. um delete your information from data mining sites so there are so many um paid sites online um that will delete this information for you um mm. i don't really know what a data mining site is but i'm imagining i don't really want to be involved with that but i think they essentially take all your information and keep it and it can be used yes i think like that analytic company yes um, so number three, protect yourself from identity theft. Um, so change your passwords frequently. Don't respond to spamming requests. Um, use your shredder. Yeah. Do you have a shredder? Uh, I have access to a shredder. Do you? Mm. You've got a shredder. It's a bulldog. Bull terrier. Bull terrier. Yeah. Sparky likes to shred. He sure does. So... There are other ways that you can also um, avoid the government. Um, use your own power. Living off the grid can mean not connecting into government-provided electricity. See, this is where I think it's taking too much of a over-the-top approach. Sure, and it's not something that everyone can do every day. No. Um, it also suggests don't drive much, because in urban areas, surveillance cameras and police devices are able to track your movements. Or, if you are going out for a drive, yeah. have several wigs, a couple of false noses. Oh my and God. And every time it's safe to do so, because we want to be safe, change your wig. That would be false. so... Can you imagine? <laughs> that would be so funny. I'd love to watch that back. <laughs> Oh man, yeah. Um, vary your routine. Don't take the same exact route every time you go to the store or to work. I think that's a good idea in general, just in case people are following you. And yeah. also, it's nice to have variety in your life. But don't take it too seriously. No. And get a bit obsessed with trying to escape yeah. Big Brother. So, yeah, there are some tips. So, I've got some other top tips I'd like to add, if that's okay. Of course. So, I'm going to go um, kind of away from some of the ones we gave. Controversial. Understand technology. Ooh. Check out what the guys in Hong Kong did when they were protesting. So, they knew that if they used laser pens, they could shine the laser pens and it would confuse the CCTV. It works with my Rottweiler too. Excellent. She loves a laser pen. <laughs> Whoa, I don't know what's going on now. <laughs> um, they also had organised to have like t-shirts changing stations so that you could Amazing. very quickly change clothes. Uh, and there's also a movement of artists who've developed face paints 
that confuse facial recognition. Yes. And they look snazzy. Amazing. So yeah, very similar to, do you remember, you don't remember because you weren't there, in the Second World War. I'm I'm reasonably confident I wasn't there. They used to paint the warships <laughs> in sort of stripes and stuff. They did, yeah. So it's kind of like that idea. I remember right? learning that. Yeah, I wasn't you, you there. there. You weren't one of the artists. No, I'd get bored really quickly. Paint <laughs> another ship today. <sighs> Make a stance if you feel that you can take that risk. Everybody needs to make a choice for themselves. I think, you know, it's really important if you are in a situation where you need to, or you feel you need to stand up against your government, mm. that has to be your own personal risk. You can't be coerced into it. You can't be talked into it. You need to come to that conclusion yourself. Don't let anyone talk you into things you're not comfortable doing, especially if it's dangerous. And it sounds like it's always going to be dangerous. Probably. And finally... Power corrupts, and our government and military leaders are not infallible. Mm -mm. So don't assume that they've got your best interests. Because as Mike says, assume makes an ass out of me and you. I like that. And I have been reassured that that apparently is very funny if you know how to spell assume. And also, it makes an ass out of you and me. Oh, I don't know. Because that's how you spell assume. Okay, does it? (laughs) Well, as a dyslexic, I don't go in for the spelling jokes very often. No, I must admit that you yeah, you probably... <laughs> didn't pull it off well. No. <laughs> <laughs> I liked it because I like it, the joke itself. But yeah, you got a bit wrong. <laughs> so they were my top tips. Do you have anything? Yeah, so I found an article from Turkey's Jail Journalists about how to survive tyranny. Ten pieces of advice from Turkey. Amazing. I thought so. So in this article on The Guardian, um, it's ten pieces of advice from people inside Turkey. Um, names have been withheld because of the danger of speaking out. Good call. Mm-hmm. So, um, in fact, I might want to withhold my name. I would, because you know the government's watching you now, don't you? <laughs> We're a very popular podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, okay, Clive, tell me about your... <laughs> Clive is the fly that lands in our line. That is. You and Clive. You just like the name Clive. the name Clive. <laughs> so, number one, head off the threat at the onset. When it comes to despots, prevention is certainly better than the cure. So early action is something that respondents advocate. That's what I said. Yeah, it is. The moment you notice your government using any form of hate speech to debase a group, women, migrants or minorities, for example, is the moment to speak out, confront and withdraw support. Absolutely. Um, Spread facts, but stay safe. Facts may be an endangered species these days, but they are crucial to ensuring that populists do not get away with propagating a skewed version of events. One respondent recommended low-key conversations with everyone, from your taxi driver to your manicurist. I don't have a manicurist. Um, no, I don't. <sighs> and I don't really use taxi drivers. You like an Uber? I like an Uber occasionally, but... Not in these times. Lockdown. Where am I going to Uber to? Around the corner and back? You could do just, just for conversation. Just for fun, yeah. I've got, I've got nobody to talk to apart from my husband. I'm going to have to get yeah, an Uber. <laughs> um, assume everyone is lying to you, even your allies. Sean, are you lying to me? No, but you wouldn't know if I said no, would you? Because no. then I might be lying, so yes. But who? <gasps> Don't, that makes my brain explode. <laughs> In the fake news era, the pursuit of truth has never 
been given so much coverage. One Turkish individual told us one should start from a baseline assumption that everyone is lying to you, even your political allies. The way to counter this is to check, double check and authenticate everything. I think that's really important because also um, I, I think the... Like one person's truth is a different to another's. So when a situation happens, you can read it in so many different ways. And so when people are like assimilating information, what they what one person gets from that information can be very different to what someone else does. Oh, and I think it's also about that whole fact checking. So don't just read a newspaper article, for example, and no. take it as fact. Or watch a YouTube video and take it as fact. Yeah. You need to learn how to uh, check that stuff. Yeah, and have your own opinion. Yeah. Be okay with that. It's important. Get several different sources. Yes, and then form your view. Yeah. So never assume democracy is the default mode. It needs constant protection. Um, and then they recommend respect for justice is sacrosanct. So keep a close eye on your justice system, recommends one respondent. Um who points to dramatic changes to the courts under, I can't say this Turkish name. That's okay. Erdogan? Could be. Who sacked thousands of judges after a failed coup attempt against him last last July. This has resulted in a system where no one dares rule against the president's political wishes. Yeah, I think as soon as um, people start making changes to the um, justice system, Mm. like uh, making court cases uh, private, yeah. That, that starts to scare me. You, you have to be accountable. I'm not saying let the press in, but they have to be, they, has, they can't be completely private. No. You need witnesses. Absolutely. Me and you type witnesses. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. Um, do not wait for the tyrants to leave because they won't. Fight against tyranny. Do not wait for them to leave because they don't. Says another respondent who feels that they were naive about the early days of Erdogan's rule. Um, you may expect leaders to step down after civilised elections, but if they are corrupt, they will do whatever it takes to cling on to power. And it's all about power, isn't sure it? Sure is. Power and money, probably sex. But power seems to be this, like, really... I was going to say Primal. powerful. Powerful. <laughs> powerful drug, I was going to say. But yeah, then I realised I was, like, using power. Um, do you, got, you got too addicted to the power. got addicted to the power then, didn't I? <laughs> I was just like, power, power, power. Um, do not treat all government supporters as monsters. Um, one respondent whose American friends are afraid of Trump says their most critical piece of advice is not to treat government supporters as an alien species. Most of them are ordinary citizens. Hmm. They've just been duped, hmm. probably. People you know, you've talked to, they are not mere monsters, but they have deep insecurities. Sure. Ooh. It's like, you know, when you know that nice person on the street, but then you find out that they're a bit of a racist. And you're just like, oh, I have to really distance myself from mm. you because I can't share, my views can't, can't intertwine with mm. yours. But maybe if you gently talk to that person about... And explain your views, get them to understand it from your point of view. It might be quite a useful tactic. Maybe. Um, This other tip says use humour, which I think is really important, actually. Yeah, yeah. Humour diffuses situations. It does, and it's a bit of a bonding thing as well, isn't it? Like, you can bond with somebody over a terrible story if you... Have share, a little bit share a moment. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and the final tip that I thought was really good is the state is afraid of your thoughts. That is your power. Oh, bringing it right I back like to Orwell. 
it. So the one person said, when I, whenever I feel physically trapped, I think about the power of thought. The mind is a beautiful and eternal place and no one can ever reach it if you don't let them. Remember that the state is afraid of your thoughts and that is a huge and delightful thing. That's beautiful. That's lovely, isn't it? I really like that. Me too. Well, we kind of did it in the wrong order. Well, no, I guess not, because we normally try and finish with our top tips, but we've got our new segment. We've got Survivor of the Week. So, Sarah, you chose the Survivor of the Week again. Yes, Um, I did. I think um, I've clearly been spending too much time reading the news. Well, you know, someone's got to. But I have to say, so... Spoiler, the survivor in this story isn't a person. Is it not? No, and it's not a fly like last it's week. It's not a fly, Clive the fly. <laughs> oh my God, again. <laughs> Everything is connected. Everything is connected. Um, so the survivor of this week is a hand. A hand, you say? It is indeed. So as I was scrolling through the news and stuff, I saw the headline, Woman who sawed off own hand found guilty of fraud. Okie dokie. Are you ready for this? Yeah. A Slovenian woman has been found guilty of deliberately sawing off her own hand as part of an insurance scam. A court in the capital of Liana found that Yulia Adlisic, 22, had taken out five insurance policies in the year before her injury. And she claimed that this injury happened as she cut branches. So she stood to gain more than one million euro in payouts. Wow. She now faces two years in prison while her boyfriend has been given a three-year sentence. Wow. So she and a number of relatives were arrested in 2019 after she arrived in the hospital with her hand cut off above the wrist. The court found that she and her boyfriend had intentionally left the severed hand behind. Sorry. I know. Rather than bringing it with them to ensure the disability was permanent, they left the hand behind. They oh, they geez. meant this to be permanent. But however, survivor, the authorities recovered it in time to sew it back on. Sometimes the authorities are there for you. Yeah, and you know, this is a survival story. This hand survived. Yeah, it wasn't going down without a fight. <laughs> so yeah, um, so prior to um, trial, prosecutors had said that the woman's boyfriend had also made internet searches about artificial hands in the days beforehand. If you're going to be sneaky and no. try and do an insurance scam, you need to not be checking it out on the internet a week or two before. And actually, do you know what? It had the fraudulent claim been successful, the couple would have received more than half a million euros as a lump sum with the rest paid in monthly instalments. There is not enough euros in this world for me to cut off my own no, hand. I don't I don't think there would be enough for me either. I don't know what situation they were in. No, I realise I'm judging, that, but still. That horrendous decision, but Jesus Christ. My hands are actually sore. Just thinking about yeah. it. Can you imagine? Oh, there's so much to ask about this, but that whole actually cutting the hand off. I think the boyfriend did it because he got more time. Yeah, maybe. I don't. I think it'd be easier to get someone to cut your hand off than having to than cut do your it yourself. Hand. Yeah. yeah. Although I'm a bit of a control freak, so I might not let anyone do it. <laughs> Just be like, no, I'm going to do it wrong. I better do it myself. But then, Sean, your experience with power tools, I think it'd more likely be an accident. It would be an accident. <laughs> I have no insurance and no. I, wouldn't, I wouldn't gain anything of it. No. <laughs> no. So there you go. That's my Survivor of the Week story. I liked it. So that just leaves us with Don't Assume Democracy is a Good Thing and Keep On Surviving. Keep on surviving.